0: to have you back this week. If you've been with us, we've been looking at the life of Joseph. And today we're going to continue our study on the life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 42. If you were with us last week, we read through Genesis 41, and you saw Joseph, the 11th son of Jacob, rise to power in Egypt. Now Joseph was sold into slavery at 17 years old. Remember, he was a slave for a number of years, and then he was imprisoned For a number more of years, but through God's providence, Joseph raised up and was placed in Egypt at just the right time. Pharaoh brought Joseph into his courts and had Joseph interpret dreams for Pharaoh because Pharaoh had received some concerning dreams. The dreams told Pharaoh that there would be seven years of plenty in Egypt followed by seven years of famine. So in response to that, Joseph tells Pharaoh that he needs to assign someone to be responsible for storing up the grain during the seven years of plenty so that they'll have enough to get through the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh thought that was a good idea. And so he appoints Joseph, a Hebrew, an imprisoned slave, and rises him up. To second in command in Egypt. Joseph is given great wealth and stature and power and influence. In fact, the only real thing different between Joseph and Pharaoh is that Pharaoh had the throne. That was about it. Today's text, though, takes a twist for us. We're not gonna look specifically at the grand story of Joseph, but instead we're gonna zoom into this particular instance. One that creates a huge twist in his story. We know that in the larger narrative, God is using, uh, is drawing Jacob and his sons to Egypt so that Joseph can provide for them. Joseph is sent ahead of God's people through suffering so that he could be positioned to set the people free at just the right time. What if God is allowing you to go through suffering right now to prepare you for something he's going to do at just the right time. See, remember, it's been many years since Joseph has seen his family. It's probably been between 20 to 21 years since Joseph saw his brothers. And the last time he saw them, they were selling him into slavery. But now things have changed for Joseph, hasn't they? Now he's second in command in Egypt. And guess where his brothers are headed next? Egypt. They're heading to Egypt to beg for grain because that famine that Pharaoh dreamed about, it's arrived. I think it's important for us to look at the context of of this moment for just a second. You see, Joseph is a wise and discerning man. And we learn about that in Psalm 105. In Psalm 105, we see a portion of scripture that points right to this very moment And it's talking about how when God summoned the famine on the land. So check this out. Psalm 105, verse 16. It says, When he, being God, summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him the ruler of the people set him free he made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom then israel came to egypt jacob sojourned in the land of ham so joseph is marked out pretty clearly here as a man of wisdom i think there's a few men in scripture that we can look to as being some of the wisest people to ever walk the earth. And I think three of them are really your top three. Number one, obviously Jesus, right? Jesus is the number one, the God-man, the savior of the world. He is the wisest. Second would be the person many of you are probably thinking about, which is Solomon, right? Solomon was known to be the wisest man ever. Solomon wrote so much of Proverbs, which is the wisdom of the Bible, right? Third would be Joseph. Because God empowers Joseph with such a unparalleled, unique kind of wisdom to rule Egypt. Now Joseph, he's given responsibility to be the administrator of the nation of Egypt, one of the leading empires of the world during that time. And so imagine Joseph. He's in this great position of power and authority He's been sold into slavery by his brothers, but now he sits in the co-pilot seat of the kingdom of Egypt. And here comes his brothers. What would you do if you were in Joseph's shoes or sandals or whatever he wore? When the brothers showed up after all they had done to Joseph, what would you do? Today's message, and if you're taking down notes, which you should if you want a bigger house in heaven, uh, today's message is called Two Tests of Transformation. Two Tests of Transformation. And what we're going to see here in Genesis 42 is Joseph presents two tests to his brothers in the form of questions. And these questions are not just questions for them, they're questions for us. They're questions that we can ask ourselves. You see, Joseph asks his brothers these questions to see if they've been transformed at all, if anything has changed. And we can ask ourselves these questions to see if God has really transformed us. Because we believe a relationship with Jesus results in a transformed life. He changes the way that we live. He doesn't just give us a new life. He changes everything about it. You could summarize it this way. True transformation is proven in our love for one another and in and and our fear of God. True transformation is proven in our love for one another and our fear of God. Let's look at the text today. And I want to break it down into three different scenes for us. There's three scenes throughout this text that I want to break down together. Now remember that the Word of God is not a fairy tale. It's not an old dusty book you keep on a shelf. It is the living, breathing Word of God that has the ability to change your life and that's where we pick it up in Genesis chapter 42 and the first scene here is Joseph's brothers coming to Egypt. They show up to Egypt and they are showing up out of desperation. This is a rescue mission for their family. They know that if they don't get grain that they're going to die. And if they don't have food, they're going to die. That Their family's going to come to an end. And so they know this is their only plan. This is plan A. This is all they've got. They have to go to Egypt and try to buy grain. It's a life or death moment. And we pick it up in scene one here. Genesis chapter 42, verse 1. Jacob learns that there's grain for sale in Egypt. And he says to the brothers, when Jacob learned that there were grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? He comes right out of the gate pretty sharp at his sons. Remember, Jacob's an elderly man at this point, and he's been around these boys his whole life. And now they're grown men. But they really don't seem to be doing a lot. They're still living in his back room. They're still living in mom's basement, okay? They don't want to do their own laundry. None of us know anybody like this, right? Hopefully there's none of them here today. But Jacob is saying, look, there's a solution. You're sitting here. You're worrying about what you're going to eat. You're talking to each other. You're scratching your heads, but you're not doing anything about it. And Jacob is saying, you guys need to be men of action. That's an interesting contrast. Because in Genesis 41, Joseph finds out that the famine is coming and he comes up with a plan. Well, there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. So let's spend the seven years of plenty and save for the famine. Historians will tell us that the Egyptians saved up so much grain during this time that it was incalculable. They couldn't even count it. At some point, they're just like, don't even worry about it. (laughs) We're not going to run out. Just put it over there. And so... Jacob finds out Egypt has this grain, and Joseph and his wisdom saved up that grain. And these 10 brothers, they can't even amount for a 10th of the wisdom that Joseph has. They just sit around and look at each other. Verse 2, Jacob says, Behold, I have heard there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send who? Benjamin, remember that, Joseph's brothers with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus, the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So, here goes the brothers. They get ready to go. They head down to Egypt, but they don't know that Joseph is in charge. Remember, 20 years, they have no idea what's going on with him. They think he's probably either still in slavery, but he's most likely dead. And so they come down to to Egypt. They don't know Joseph is in charge. And they appear here in verse 6. Joseph's brothers are tested. That's the second scene. At this moment, the brothers move from despair to distress. Why? Because Joseph's about to cause them a lot of distress because he begins to test them. Check this out, verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people in the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Seemed like their posture has changed. Verse seven, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers. And he spoke roughly to him. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, catch this, but they did not recognize him. The few verses that we're gonna read now reveal the kind of man that Joseph really is. You see, for all intents and purposes, Joseph is this God figure. He's the Lord of Egypt, and his 10 brothers are coming to beg the second most powerful man in the world other than Pharaoh for grain. But Joseph recognizes the brothers when they show up, but they don't recognize him. Remember though, Joseph knows their language. As a public figure in Egypt, he would only speak in Egyptian, but he still remembered Hebrew. And so when the brothers are having side conversations in their own language, he, he hears everything that they are talking about, but they don't know it. Which is good because then Joseph can push all the right buttons. <laughs> Verse nine, Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And so Joseph automatically puts the dukes up. He's automatically in defense. He's accusing them of coming to Egypt to attack Egypt. And the brothers say to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Yeah, right. Your servants have never been spies. Joseph responds, he said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you came to see. And they said, no, we are your servants. We're 12 brothers and the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father. And one, one of our brothers is no more. Joseph's probably I don't know how he's not cracking up. I don't know how these people aren't blind, right? They're literally telling the one who is no more about the brother who is no more. But Joseph said to them in verse 14, it is I saying to you, you're spies. Joseph's like, I don't care, you're spies. By this, you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go on from this place unless your younger brother, what was his name? Good, paying attention, comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while the remaining are confined. That your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. Look at that last part. That your words may be tested whether there is truth in you. That is what Joseph is after. He's after trying to figure out if truth (laughs) is in them. If there's any good in them. After all their sins, after all their mistakes, after all their crimes against Joseph, has their heart been transformed? Is there any remorse? Or are they still the unloving brothers who attempted to murder Joseph and then said, you know what, let's just sell them instead and then lie to their father Jacob about it? Joseph is testing them. Verse 16, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies, 17, and he put them all together into custody for three days. Joseph put them in prison because he wants to give them plenty of time to think about what they did and decide if they're going to be honest men. Were they going to take these three days and come to their senses? Were they going to decide to be honest men? Or were they going to spend the next three days figuring out how they can lie and deceive Joseph to get out of this? Have you ever been in that position? My mom and dad used to do this to me all the time. Go to your room and think about what you did. I'd go there, I'd sit on my bed, and I'd think about what I did. That's what Joseph is doing to his brothers. Go in the jail cell and think about what you did. Verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God and so Joseph affirms his integrity but he questions his brothers integrity he keeps his word but he questions his brothers word because Joseph fears God and he's not even sure if his brothers even still know him verse 19 if you are honest men then let one of your brothers remain confined look at this he switched it let one of your mothers uh, mothers brothers remain confined while you are in custody and let the rest go carrying grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. So execution is on the table here and I like the next part and they did so. (laughs) Okay. One of the things you notice about Joseph here, remember the deal changed. Before he puts him in prison, he goes, "Nine uh, uh, nine of you stay here, one of you go back. Now it's one of you stay here, nine of you go back to Canaan to get Benjamin. We'll pick that up in a second. Verse 21, then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. So the brothers did think about what they did. They think about their brother Joseph, and they're guilty about that. They feel this distress. We saw the distress in his soul when he begged us, and yet we didn't listen. That's why we're dealing with what we're dealing with right now. You see, the brothers use a Hebrew word here for guilty. It's this word, asham. Now, it sounds like ashamed, but I'm not sure there's a correlation there. But it's the same idea that they felt this shame, they felt this guilt. And it gives us a picture, it gives us a snapshot, if you would imagine with me for just a moment, back to when Joseph was 17, 20 years ago. And there's Joseph, and he's been thrown into the well by his brothers. His brothers are talking about killing him. Then they decide to sell him. Could you imagine Joseph hearing his brothers? Then you've got the, whoever buys the slaves for Egypt coming and wheeling and dealing and trying to sell and trying to figure out how much they're going to get for him. And I'm sure Joseph isn't sitting, he's 17 years old. He ain't sitting there quietly. Joseph's not sitting there in silence. He's probably been crying all night. He's a 17-year-old boy, so he's probably got that squeaky voice, right? He's distressed. He's exhausted. He's beat up. He's bloody. He's begging and pleading his brothers, please don't do this. The brothers admit that they begged us, that he begged us and we did not listen. And I'm sure that 20 years later, while these brothers are sitting in this Egyptian jail, they hear Joseph's cries like it was yesterday. And they're filled with guilt. Verse 22 And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you, this is the oldest brother, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you didn't listen? Now here comes a reckoning for his blood. Reuben was Jacob's oldest son and the only one to defend Joseph when his brothers wanted to sell him. Reuben was trying to do the right thing and as the older brother, it was his responsibility to look after all of his younger brothers. And so he believes that he failed Joseph, that this whole thing is his fault and he's been living with that guilt for 20 years. When we sin, there's no healthy way to forget about the sins that we commit. The shame, the guilt, the feelings that we have, there's nothing in our own power that we can do to get rid of that. The guilt and shame of sin is only removed by the sovereign grace of God. God can only set you free from that. And maybe, like Reuben, someone in this room today has been living with guilt for 20 years that God needs to set them free of today. You see, they seem remorseful. And likewise, we need to be remorseful. We have to feel bad about what we've done in order to ask for forgiveness, right? The text continues in verse 23. Remember, Joseph is listening to all of this. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. And so here they are pleading their case, how ashamed they are about their brother, not knowing their brother is standing right in front of them. There's an interpreter there to translate, but Joseph doesn't need the interpreter. And Joseph hears it all. And it says that Joseph turns away from them and weeps. Could you imagine that emotion? 20 years, my brothers don't love me. My brothers sent me here. And now you see that they are remorseful for what they've done. He's weeping, he's sobbing, he's shaking with emotion. And then he returns to speak to them. And the Bible says that he took Simeon from them, one of the brothers, and bound him before their eyes. He took Simeon, as the one that would stay behind, bound him, left him in the jail cell, and Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. He went above and beyond. What a picture of the grace of God. Because here's Joseph saying, not only am I sending you back, I'm going to fill your bags with grain. I'm going to give you your money back. So it's not going to cost you anything. And I'm going to pack you a lunch for the ride. And he gives them provisions for the journey. Now, remember before when Joseph changed his mind, remember he was going to send one person back for Benjamin and keep nine, but he switched it and he now he's going to keep one person and send nine. Why do you think he did that? Because nine people can carry a lot more grain. And so he's sending them back with as much as he can. Nine times what they need. And that kind of grace, man, that takes your breath away. Because Joseph could have just said, execute these spies. And he would have been justified. Yet, he provides so much for them. And now we enter into the third scene. Joseph's brothers return to Canaan. Verse 26, they loaded their donkeys with their grain and they departed. So they've been tested and now they're headed home. They moved from desperation to distress, and now it's about to get even worse. It's about to go even deeper because this test of repentance and transformation is going to leave them feeling as though all hope has been lost. Check this out, verse 27. And one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place and he saw money in the mouth of the sack. They don't know they've been given back their money. And he said to his brothers, my money is put back here. (laughs) It's in the sack on the donkey. My money's back. And their hearts failed them. Their hearts stopped. They are frozen. And they turned trembling to one another what is this that God has done to us? And they find themselves in a tough predicament. They've already been accused of being dishonest and being spies. And now they fear they're going to be condemned for being thieves because they're going to show back up. And Jacob's going to say, how do you guys have all this money? Didn't you spend on the grain? Did you steal the grain? Did you steal the money? What are you doing? Where's the receipt, Right. And Joseph's brothers, the question is, are they the same men that sold him into slavery, or are they going to be different? Verse 29. When they came to Jacob and their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men, we have never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me. Take the grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. And then I shall know that you're not spies But honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and then you'll be able to trade in the land. And as they emptied their bags, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And the father saw the bundles of money, and they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Now you got Simeon locked up. And now you want to take my favorite, Benjamin? All this has come against me. Check this out, verse 37. Reuben, the same brother that was so guilty before, Reuben says to his father, kill my two sons if I don't bring him back to you. Put him in my hands. Put Benjamin in my hands and I will bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he is the only one left. Jacob clearly has two favorite sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And he lost Joseph. All he has is Benjamin because he loved Jacob and Benjamin's mom the most. And so Jacob is angry. And Jacob says, if harm should happen to him on the journey that you make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Why does Reuben say this to Jacob? Does Reuben not care about his own kids? Reuben literally says, kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back. Reuben is the one who's always stood up for Joseph. And now he says to Jacob, I love my brothers so much that my love for Simeon and Benjamin is equal to that of my own sons. And I, if it means that I don't bring him back, then I give you them. And for this week, that's where the story stops. So you'll have to come back next week and find out what's next. Here's my question. What is Joseph testing them for? I I believe Joseph is presenting two questions to his brothers. Number one, Will they love their brother? They could just say that Simeon got eaten on the way back or by a wild animal or got taken by robbers or thieves. Or Will they act with Simeon in love? What are they going to do for their brother who's been wrongfully imprisoned? I mean, that rings a bell, right? The same thing happened to Joseph. What are they going to do for Simeon to get him out? Will they help their brothers this time or will they condemn him? The second question he asks, will they fear God? Joseph says, I fear God. I am an honest man. Will you? Will you lie to your father, Jacob, or will you tell him the truth? Will you take the money and run like you did with Joseph? That's the two tests of transformation for the brothers. God tests our faith in the exact same way. God puts these tests before each of us and tests our transformation to see if we've truly been transformed by the Spirit of God. Because if we've been transformed by God, then we will love our brothers and sisters. If the Spirit of God has changed us, then we will fear God, not be afraid of God, but be reverent to God. So ask yourself these two questions this morning Do you love your neighbor? Your friends, your co-workers, the people you spend time with, they're there for a reason. Your providence no longer comes from man, but from God. And that means that you are free to love people whether or not they love you back. 1 John chapter 3 says, We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid himself down for us. Think about Reuben's situation now. Kill my two sons if I do not bring back Simeon and Benjamin. That's godly love. God loved you so much that he laid down his only son so that he could have a relationship with you. So if we must be transformed by Jesus, believing in him, then We must recognize that God will provide for us, that he won't count our sins against us. Do you love your neighbor? And do you fear God? Fearing God means obeying him. John 8, 34 says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. When you become a slave to God, you lose your slavery from sin. You're free from that grip. You're free from that that pit. And you've been transformed by God. And if you've been transformed by God, that means you want to live a life that honors and glorifies God. True transformation is proven in our love for one another and in our fear of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for who you are. That you would send your only begotten son so that we would not perish but have eternal life. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the sacrifice on the cross. I thank you that I can have new life in him. That I don't have to fear death. That I don't have to be stuck in the grip of sin. But that Jesus, you set people free. You set people free 2,000 years ago. You set people free right here today. And so, Father God, when we are distressed like Joseph's brothers, when we feel like there's no way out, when we feel like our guilt and our shame has entrapped us, remind us that you're the one who makes a way where there's no other way, that you are a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, God. That is who you are. And so, Father, we praise you, not so that we get stuff from you. We praise you, God, because of what you've given to us, which is already so much more that we could ever ask or imagine. We thank you today, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing.